Greetings, stationeers, and welcome back to your favourite Genesis slash comedy podcast, The Revelation Station. Joining me in Studio 2 is Gary. Well, hello, Gary. How are you doing, Simon? I'm doing okie dokie. How are you? When you ask people about their favourite Genesis slash comedy podcast, I think Hmm. they have very little choice in the number of Genesis slash comedy podcasts. It's true, it's true. And, you know, actually, truth be told... I think we're probably everybody's second favourite comedy slash Genesis <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Certainly mine. <laughs> so, you know, I was bigging us up a little bit there. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, so, we're back. So, how's your week been, Simon? Yes, it's been... Uh, it doesn't even feel like a week because uh, I am on furlough, as you know. So, mm. I've not been at work doing anything. And uh, all days are one day to me now. <laughs> yeah. So I've no idea what day it is. Well, as you know, I've just got over the dreaded COVID. Mm. Um, if any of our listeners want to send me beer to help me get over it, I'm more than happy to accept that. Um, but I am feeling fine now. It was a very. I'm not sure that's a cure. Who said anything about cure? I'm fine. I, I, I just want free beer. Um, but yeah, no, no, fine. All fine. Um, I'm back at work now. But we're back after one week. I mean, we've just finished our yes. little interview. Um, yes, with with Adam. Um, if you've not listened to that episode yet, you should go and listen to that. It's a very nice conversation. Yeah, it was. I, I rather enjoyed that. That was quite good. Yeah. So this week, this week we've had the divine pleasure and a rare unparalleled treat of listening to Mike Rutherford's second solo album Acting Very Strange. Yes, we've been listening to Acting Very Strange and I have to admit that listening to this album I too was acting very strange. Hmm. No spoilers now, no spoilers, but uh no spoilers about my overall opinion of this album because um to be truthful, even now after hearing it several times, I'm still not entirely sure what my feelings are about this album. <laughs> so so we'll we'll go well, into that more as we do a dissertation and a dissection of this album but yes. thank you once again for really going out of your way to pick some wonderful albums for me to listen to i literally have nothing better to do with my time than listening to <laughs> albums that you send me you keep saying on these podcasts and on the web page um you know oh this is what i've been listening to this week this is what i've been listening to this week gary what have you been listening to nothing but what you've been telling me to listen to <laughs> So so I haven't listened to anything for two years that isn't Genesis-related. I'm yep. getting slightly bonkers. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Slightly more bonkers. That's good. That's good. So this is Mike's follow-up album to Small Creeps Day. Now, let's remind listeners what we thought of Small Creeps Day. I, if you remember, really, really hated the album the first time I heard it and had a very low opinion of it until I re-listened to it for our podcast when I discovered, actually, it's pretty blooming good. Yep. And your first listen to it was as part of the podcast. What did you think of it? I thought it was pretty blooming good. Yes. So we loved Mike's first album, Small Creeps Day. Yeah, it was It was surprisingly interesting. Really very good, considering, you know, that mm. some of the other first solo, first solo albums we've done. Um, it was really quite interesting as an album that's both through sound, theme and presentation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, really well done, really well made. Good songs, well produced, excellent, really good album. Yeah. So how does this follow-up compare? Oh, no spoilers. Don't answer that question yet. Before we go into that, as is traditional, it's time for some facts about this album. Are you re- 
Are you ready for facts? Fact alert! We've got facts coming out of things that facts come out of. Really? Our factoids. <laughs> yes, and my factoid machine is cranking away in the corner. It's either well, it's either yes. a factoid machine or a broker and shoe cleaner. I'm not sure which it is. Well, I, I went to the doctor and had my factoids removed. Oh, that's a painful operation. Indeed, I couldn't sit down for a week. No. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I have fact. I have fact. What fact do you want first? Release dates? I got release dates. Chart positions? I got those. Come on, I'm going to fact you right up. I'm going to fill you so full of facts you can't stand. Give me a release date. Give me a release date. Right, so this this album was released on the 7th of September in 1982. It is Mike's second and also his last solo album. So he only did technically did two solo albums. So he has the same opinion about this album as I do. Oh, what a giveaway. Well, we'll come on to that later. <laughs> so this, surprisingly... This got to number 23 in the UK, and it reached number 145 in the USA. So, actually, pretty respectable in terms of sales. This album did slightly better in Canada, if not the album, certainly the singles. Yes. Well, there were four singles that got released from this album over the course of five months. So, if you think about that time scale for a minute, five months, four singles. That's kind of throwing singles at the wall and seeing what sticks, really, isn't it, there? Yeah, and none of them actually stuck, did they? No, they Apart didn't. from Maxine, which did hit the top 40 in Canada. But it's cold in Canada. They de- they need something to do in Canada. Maxine actually got to number 37 on the Billboard Rock chart, and it got to number 39 in Canada. Nobody listens to that. So, yeah, well, that's a very spe- specialised chart, isn't it? But they release Halfway There, Maxine, Acting Very Strange and Hide Away from the album. And as we said, only Maxine actually did anything. I mean, that's quite surprising because there are only eight tracks on the album. So they've basically released half the album as singles. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? And some of those other tracks on the album were B-sides as well. One of the B-sides, of course, was Calypso, an extra track, which we'll talk about later. We can. Speaking of singles, um, they did 12-inch remixes of Acting Very Strange and couldn't get arrested. He did. Songs that didn't need extending in any way, shape, or form. So I'd be interested to hear what the 12-inch remixes were, because they're already long at the lengths they are. Yeah, I mean, all right, Acting Very Strange was was five minutes originally, and um, mm. Couldn't Get Arrested was the... Sh- what? I think that was the shortest track on the album anyway, wasn't it, at three minutes 50? So, um, so yeah, probably, yeah. It'd be interested to see what they did with those on a 12-inch... Anyway... Going back to the album and wherever, make me some facts, fact boy. Yes. So Mike decided to do the vocals himself on this album, uh, and his reason for that was that he thought it was odd when solo artists didn't do the vocals themselves. The funny thing about that is he's right. Yes. And also quite wrong. Yeah. He's right that it is odd when they don't sing their own stuff, but listening to some of these tracks, he shouldn't have sung his own stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not odd when the person in question can't sing, that they don't do their own vocals. Yeah. What I find even more odd about that decision is that Noel McCalla, who was the vocalist on Small Creeps Day and was actually really, really good, does backing vocals on this album. Yeah, which I thought was odd. They get the guy who can actually sing, not singing. Yeah, weird. What's Mm. that about? Don't get me wrong. I mean, Mike's Mike Rutherford's voice is pretty good. He's a pretty good singer. Mm. I don't think it fit quite a lot of these tracks. Some of the tracks it worked very well on, and we'll discuss that. But some of them, I thought yeah. they might, might have sounded better with a better vocalist, or to put it more po- 
politically a different vocalist. That's very diplomatic, yes. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I'm not diplomatic very often, as anybody who knows me will attest, <laughs> but, you know, occasionally it creeps out, which is what I told the judge. <laughs> <laughs> Other notable guest stars on the album are Daryl Sturmer, who plays guitar. Yes. Obviously, we know Daryl Sturmer from playing live with Genesis and also for playing with Phil Collins and Stuart Copeland of The Police, who plays drums. So... Interestingly, they played on the same polo team. I wonder if there's any record of how they met. That would be an interesting conversation. Uh, wait a minute. Funny you should mention that. Looking through some of the stuff that Deep Throat have sent us, I noticed there's some video cassettes from the 80s, and one of them refers to an interview with Mike Rutherford. That might be something to do with this. Here's the tape I was thinking of. It says, um, Disastrous Genesis Interviews. Huh. Shall we give it a whiz? Yeah, have you you've got a video recorder set up over there, have you? I have got every piece of low-tech tech you can imagine knocking around here. I've got a VHS, I've got a I've got a Super 8 projector somewhere. So I can play anything that Deep Throat sends us. Excellent. Well, obviously we can only play the audio for our listeners, but uh bear, bear in mind listeners that we are watching the video of this going on as well. So uh, yeah, okay, let's 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 watch that. Let's watch it. Here it goes. Welcome to World of Sport with me, Brian Pryor. I'm sitting in for Dickie Davis after last week's accident with wrestler Giant Haystacks. Everyone here wishes you a speedy recovery, Mr. Haystacks. Coming up in this week's show, we've got all the action from the FA Cup final. A look back at the career of racing legend Miles Prower. And a report from the chess championship currently underway in Helsinki. <laughs> but first, we're going live to Hertwood Park Polo Club to join Billy Bird for a special interview with rock star Mike Rutherford of Genesis. Billy, how's the weather down there? Uh, yeah, well, yes, Brian. It's a, it's a typical summer day here in Surrey, so I've, uh, I've got my wellies on and an umbrella to hand. <laughs> Very good, Billy. So, I hear you've got a special guest over there with you. Yes, Brian, I have. Uh, the world of polo attracts a high calibre of player. Ah, uh, you mean posh boys? Uh, uh, well, I don't know that I'd go that far. Oh, come on, Billy. Riding around on a horse, knocking a ball about with a stick. They aren't playing that on council estates with jumpers for goalposts, are they? Well, well uh, no, but I, I, I think it's unfair to... Whatever, Billy. It's not a real sport, is it, Billy? Not like wrestling. You may be right, Brian. Um, how is Giant, by the way? Well, the doctors say he's stable for now. Oh, that's good. Who knew Dickie had it in him? Well, quite. It certainly explains why he's been presenting this show for so long. Anyway, time's ticking away, Billy. Are you going to do this interview, or what? Uh, uh yes, Brian, I am. Uh, uh, yes, yes. I'm here with Mike Rutherford of Genesis. He's just come off the pitch. We call it a field, actually, Billy. Uh, yes, c quite. Uh, he's, he's come off the field during half-time in his latest match. So, 
Mike, have you been a poloer for a long time? Yes, I started playing at school. And it just carried on from there, really. So, uh, what do you say to those people, like my colleague Brian, who think it's an elitist sport? Well, I wouldn't agree, Billy. I was just saying to Captain Mark Phillips earlier that polo has really become the people's sport. I mean, there's no need to restrict people from playing based on their background. But surely, Mike, the, the average man on the street doesn't have access to a horse. A pony. Or a ten-acre field to play on. Well, first of all, Billy, I don't believe that anyone should be described as average. Everyone is unique and brilliant in their own way. Yeah, yes, Mike, but the resources needed for the game are just way beyond most people. Now, Billy, you say that, but I'm not sure I agree. Yes, most people don't have access to ten-acre fields, but there are plenty of public parks. And the horses? Ponies. Well, I mean... Most people have bicycles, don't they? There's that delightful documentary I keep seeing on the television, with the young boy delivering the bread. Delivering? Do you mean the Hovis advert? I don't know. Maybe. I thought it was a documentary, but now I think about it, it does seem odd how often it was repeated. Well, uh, that's by the by. I, I think you're assuming that people in the inner city have bikes when... That's just not true. Uh, uh, can we change the subject, please? I'm not comfortable talking about this. Um, sure, Mike. And can you edit that bit out? It makes me sound a bit aloof. Well, no, this is going out live. Oh, uh, do you know they asked me to join the Olympic team last year, but I was too busy touring, so I had to turn them down. Very sad. Really? Um, well... Polo hasn't been an Olympic sport since uh, 1936. Um, and last year was 1981. The Olympics weren't on. Oh, uh, uh, can we move on, please, Billy? Uh, yeah, of course, Mike, of course. So, so, you've got a lot of friends who play polo with you? That's right. There's Kenny Jones out of The Who. He owns this club, you know. Then Captain Mark Phillips, who I mentioned earlier. Lovely chap. Charlie Drake used to be on our team, but he kept dropping his hammer. I brought Roger Taylor down here to see if he wanted to play. Ah, Queen! I didn't really go into his personal life, Billy. No, I mean, Roger Taylor, the, the drummer from Queen. Oh, yes, that's right. He popped down for a look. He seemed quite interested until somebody fell off his horse and broke their arm. Wow. I, I imagine that would be a significant injury for a drummer. Would it? I couldn't really tell you what a drummer does, to be honest. Right. Um, speaking of drummers, uh, have you met Stuart Copeland of the police? The police? No. I don't think so. Well, he's, he's right here. Stuart, uh, come over and, and join us. Hi, Stuart. Good to see you. Sure. Good to be here, Billy. And uh, have you met Mike before? Can't say that I have. Hi, Mike. Oh, hello, officer. So, uh, Mike, what do you think of the police? Well, I suppose they do a great job keeping people safe and so on. I suppose. 
suppose. Uh, would you ever collaborate with Stuart or, or any other member of the police for that matter? Yes, of course. I'd be more than happy to help them in whatever aspect I could. If there's been a murder or a burglary or something, if there's some clue that relates to music in some way, I might be able to provide a real insight. Uh, Mike, I'm a drummer. Are you? Are you really? Well, good for you. I suppose you need to find a way to wind down after a hard day on the beach, don't you? Um, there's some confusion here, I think. Billy, it's been great to talk to you, but I've got to get back to the game in a moment. Right, yes. I, I, I can see the crowd heading back to their seats. They've all been on the field stamping down, uh, uh, what do you call them, Mike? Divots. That seems a bit harsh, Mike. They're, they're only trying to help. Uh... Do you need me for anything else? Uh, well, Mike, I, I hear you're working on a new album. Uh, do you need a drummer at all? Oh, I do, actually. Officer Stephen, would you like to come along and play for me? Only if you don't have any ongoing investigations that are keeping you busy, of course. Uh, it's, uh, it's Stuart, actually, Mike, but uh, yeah, I'd be honoured to work with you. Great! So, uh, there we have it. You, you heard it here first. Mike Rutherford is cooperating fully with the police. <laughs> well, they're drummer anyway. Always happy to help out local law enforcement. Uh, indeed. Uh, well, Mike Rutherford, Stuart Copeland, thanks for joining me. Now it's back to Brian in the studio. Well, uh, thanks, Billy, for that uh, segment. Not, uh, not quite sure what to make of that. Ah, uh, some breaking news just in. Doctors say the giant haystacks has finally recovered consciousness after seven days. They're hopeful that it'll make a full recovery. Now it's time for a report on the World Tiddlywings Championship with Peter Pettinger. How's it going, Peter? Wow, that was a bit painful. You... Wasn't it? That was not That was not one of his finest moments, I think. No, definitely not. Uh, yeah. He looked a bit embarrassed, didn't he? No wonder he didn't do many interviews on his own. You can, Yeah, you can understand that, can't you? Stick with the band. Let somebody else do all the talking. Just stand at the back mm. and look hairy, I think, is, is what he should do. <laughs> well, right. Anyway, let's get back to some facts about this album. So this was recorded at The Farm, Genesis's studio. Um, and that perhaps this demonstrates the downside of not having to pay for studio fees. Because, yeah. you know, he's been given complete free reign. When you think you can just it. pop in and record an album and you think, wow, it doesn't really matter. I own the studio. Whereas if you've got really good yeah. stuff and a really good setup, you think twice about spending the dosh. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I think, I think some twice thinking might have helped with this album. Again, not giving too much away, but you know what I'm saying? If If you were paying the money for this, you may have spent a little more time over some of these tracks, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so Mike says to warm his voice up, he would drink uh, enough Remy Martin cognac to give it some character, but uh, not enough to be entirely drunk. So with that in mind, <laughs> maybe that explains why he decided to do the vocals himself. He was just constantly drunk. I think on a couple of tracks, specifically Maxine and the first track, Acting Very Strange, you can you can smell the cognac in the air with those. Yeah. <laughs> There's a very raw sound to the vocals. Yeah, pretty much. Well, talking about Maxine, uh, Maxine was one of three tracks 
that Mike and the Mechanics performed on their first tour. Um, they also performed halfway there, and I don't want to know. So um, that'd be quite interesting to hear if they've if there's any bootlegs of that. See if they sound better with a, a good vocalist. So here's an interesting fact. Oh yes, this will be the first one. Eddie Van Halen. He liked the song "Halfway There" so much that he invited Mike over to L.A. so they could collaborate together. Which shows, just because you can play the guitar really well doesn't mean you have good taste in music. Well, that collaboration didn't go anywhere, partly because, as Mike recounts in his autobiography, The Living Years, Eddie Van Halen liked to start work at about 2.30am in the morning. Obviously, Obviously. that's when a.m. is, for you people in a different time zone. Never seen it myself, but I've heard it exists. Uh, But after three days, Mike was so exhausted, he couldn't actually do any work. So he gave up on it and went back home. But that gave him the idea and the inspiration to try and find some songwriting collaborators. So, in a way, Eddie Van Halen was responsible for Mike and the Mechanics. Boom. Wow. That is a factoid. Yeah. Well done, that man. I I had to read a whole chapter of Mike's autobiography to find that out. I like that. That's a good fact. It was almost worth (laughs) reading the whole book, wasn't it? Just for that one fact. Is that the only fact you got out of his whole book? Well, Mike really, really hates this album. He does not like it. And the whole general dissatisfaction with this album was what led to informing Mike and Mechanics. But he devotes about two paragraphs to the album in his whole book. And one of those paragraphs is telling the story about Eddie Van Halen. There's literally nothing else to talk about this this album. <laughs> so. Okay. To be honest, I don't think this album's that bad. I mean, we're going to go into the various tracks and the overall mm. uh, opinions at the end. But I don't think this okay. album is that bad. I mean, we've certainly heard worse solo albums. Uh, you might have done. I can't possibly comment. <laughs> okay. Personally, again, this is my diplomatic voice coming out. It's not <laughs> that bad. Anyway, that's all the factoids for tonight. Are you sure there's no more little tiny factoids you can eke out? Facts are very thin on the ground for this album. There is very, very little about this album anywhere. Facts on this are sliced thinner than Parma ham. That's it. So, due to a lack of facts, the rest of this factoid section is cancelled. Let's go straight into the first track, <gasps> the title track, Acting Very Strange.
So, what do you think of that? That sounded so 80s, right? It did. I mean, I thought that had a, a feel a very reminiscent of The Police, talking of Stuart Copeland being on the album. Yeah, it kind of did. And there's a couple of other tracks on this uh, album that have also got that sort of almost reggae sound to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought, I thought this had a really promising opening. About the first minute or so... Um, was actually really quite good. And then it gets to about a minute in and the key changes. Um, and it doesn't sound much like the police after that. Well, the, the thing is, it was going very well. I kind of was enjoying it, sort mm. of. And then we got to the chorus. And there was this really weird computer sound, which just <laughs> came from absolutely nowhere. Yeah. and It was just like such a weird jump. And you thought, what? how does, how does this relate to the rest of the song? Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is, right... What's with that Cockney accent? Where did that come from? I don't know. I was listening to this and I didn't know who the singer Mm. was on this because I hadn't read the notes. I was just playing this in the car. And I thought, where did they get this Cockney geezer with the gravelly voice to do the singing? He's terrible. (laughs) And of course, I read the notes and realised it was was Mike himself. But the the other thing about this this, this particular track, it's five minutes long. I know. It's... Why? (sighs) And... The weird thing is, the last one minute and five seconds is just acting very strange, repeated for one-fifth of the entire song. Yeah, it's really repetitive towards the end. Now, my, my take on this, I'm going to say, I think, first of all, that apart from Mike singing, which on this track isn't that bad, right? This is quite a good song. I quite like this song. But it gets so repetitive towards the end. I agree. This, like, I'm going to say this as we're doing this through the album. Yeah. Um, but this track should have been three and a half minutes long. Yeah. There was no reason for that last almost one and a half minutes. Yeah. I would have gotten rid of the computer sounds for the chorus yeah. because it didn't mean anything to the song. Mm-hmm. It was just it was very strange. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> no pun intended. But as you said, Mike's singing on this doesn't really, isn't great. It is great. It just really does not match this song at all. I think they should have gone with a better singer. I think the music needed reworking a little bit. It didn't sound quite right. They needed to put a bit more effort into the percussion on this track, I think. And they would have ended up with a a really decent, half-good track. But this is just like... Again, we've said this on a couple of other albums. This feels like a demo of the track. Mm. It doesn't feel like the finished version of the track. It feels like they were going, we're going to do this, we'll tweak the music later on, and we'll get a a different singer in later on and try that. This just just feels like a demo rather than a song. But it's not a bad demo. No, I mean, like I say, I I quite like the song. I think I quite enjoy it. It's a kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because I'm trying to put this in context of the rest of the album. If I'd have been coming to this album and this never having heard it before, listening to this song, I'd have been thinking, eh, okay, it's not great, but all right, let's see where this album goes. Having listened to the album quite a lot, I now think of this track as, this isn't too bad. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's certainly the one you're going to go. At least this one isn't too bad to start the album. Exactly. Yeah. So you know it's that, kind of again again that's a bit of spoiler about the rest of the album. Bit of a spoiler. But we're going to we're going to I'm going to take a I'm going to take an approach to this album because I've I've listened to it several times now. I haven't formed an opinion as to how. 
And so, listeners, that was where everything collapsed. Literally, no idea what happened. We had some sort of catastrophic technical failure and we were kicked completely offline. No way of getting back. And so we had to abandon the recording. So here we are a week later to finish off this review. Yes. I mean, it's just like the album that won't go away, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Let's get back onto track with the review. We had just listened to the first track from the album, Acting Very Strange. That's the name of the track. It wasn't that we were acting very strange. Well, we were as well. The internet certainly was. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. So, Gary, just as a recap. Yes. Did you like that first track? I thought it was okay. Yeah. I mean, I quite liked that track, to be honest. I thought it was quite a a promising start, apart from Mike singing, which, to be honest, isn't really that bad on this track, at least. No, it's not. But it doesn't really... I don't think it really fits a lot of the tracks on this album, though. No. The one thing I remember we did agree on was this was way too long. Yeah. At least a minute, if not two minutes, too long. Yeah. At five minutes, it's quite a long track for, as you say, something that's quite repetitive. Exactly. So a promising beginning to the album. Now, that is in the past, though, isn't it? Now, while we have some sort of Wi-Fi connection, let's rush on to track two. So track two is called A Day to Remember. you think of that one well it's an interesting track this it starts with this really kick-ass sound and i thought hey this is gonna be a real good rock anthem Mm. it's gonna really you know it's gonna set this album alight and then suddenly it doesn't it just sort of wanders off in a different direction entirely it really it doesn't ever get going this song does it no, really which just... is strange because the the beginning sounds like this is yeah. gonna kick ass yeah i've, I've, I've I made mean, the same really note it's really drum. interesting opening drums mm. opening sounds yeah to the point where it sounds almost like it's, it's something that could have been from small creeks day yeah it would have really fit in yep that's exactly what went through my mind and then like you say it just kind of forgets about that and wanders off somewhere else and yeah, again, this is another one that's very repetitive. Mm, far too long again. Yeah. The only thing I will say about this that I, I did like was that I thought this really suited Mike's singing voice much better than the first track. Do you think? Because... <laughs> 
Because I, I, I've, I've made a note here that he he sounds like he's struggling with a bad cold as he's singing this. Well, when I when I say it suits it better, right? Let's mm. put this in context. You know when your granny buys that bloody awful jumper, yes, and you're trying it on with other things because you know you can't bury it because she wants to see it on Boxing Day, mm. and you know you get, so you put on a pair of jeans. You go, no, it doesn't right. Put on a pair of trousers. It, doesn't look quite as bad with these trousers it's still awful <laughs> yeah but yes with the trousers it kind of almost works that's what i mean with mike singing on this right. one it's yeah. not as bad as it could be but it kind of almost works with this track it's the elephant in the room isn't it but the elephant is in the room it is indeed mike's singing we have to talk about mike <laughs> And he's singing. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're only two tracks in and already it's, I mean, let's put this in, in some sort of context again. And I'm not going to talk about jumpers anymore, but his singing isn't really, isn't that bad. It's just probably not that suited to this kind of song or indeed this kind of album. I'm, I'm not in places. His singing isn't too bad. Like I think acting very strange his voice kind of works all right on that, but for the most part, he sounds really, really strained. He is not a natural singer. No, no, that was by any stretch. To be honest, that was uh, in the first track. I got that feeling as well. It felt like he was mm. almost screaming because his voice wasn't really, really uh, trained enough to reach some of the notes he was trying to achieve, and he did sound very hoarse and like he'd been practicing this album in his bedroom for the last 14 weeks, got to the studio and <laughs> discovered he'd just really messed up his voice. It was, it was, that, mm. it just felt gravelly and, and, and unnatural singing. You know, it felt like he was really pushing yeah. the boundaries of what his voice was capable of. Yeah, it does. I mean, he should stick to the backing vocals. I think backing vocals, you wouldn't mind that level no. of strain. Or, or indeed a different kind of um, uh, music might suit his voice better. Mm. Or where he maybe isn't straining yeah. some of the high notes or, you know, just generally straining. Um, but, you know, it's like, it's like any singer, isn't it? I mean, John Anderson. You take John Anderson out of Yes mm. and put him in, in Motorhead, it's not going to sound right, is mm, it? No, it's not. So, you know, it's a matter. If you've got a voice, you've got to find the kind of music that suits your kind of voice. And this doesn't suit his. Yeah. But I think the difference there, though, yeah. I think the fundamental difference between taking John Anderson out of Yes and putting him in Motorhead and having Mike Rutherford singing on his own album is that John Anderson can sing in the first place. That is probably a very good point. It's not like you're taking somebody who can sing and they suddenly can't sing. I mean, yes, John Anderson wouldn't fit with Motorhead, but he can still sing. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I mean, we don't want to be too cruel. I mean, he does a, he does a, a passable job. <laughs> it's just... Sometimes. Sometimes. Yes, he yes. does. I agree. Sometimes. But it's just... And I think on this particular track, getting back to the, the matter at hand, I think this particular <laughs> track does actually suit his singing voice, probably better than almost anything else on this album. Uh, I disagree, but... You always disagree with everything I ever say. We're here to disagree. That is the whole point of this podcast. It's like we're, it's like we're married. I say something and you <laughs> may say it even before I finish saying it. No, I don't. See? I mean, <laughs> 
I mean, there is a track actually which we we will be covering in season three. Oh God! Um, where we get onto some of the soundtrack oh, songs. Dear, I'm gonna no. we, hang, on, gonna... hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Slow down. <laughs> I need to. I need to think about that and stop crying just for a second. Well, there's good news to go along with that in that we've only got three more episodes after this of season two and then we're done of season two. Oh joy. Do you promise me that you're going to find me some better albums to listen to? <laughs> yes. But anyway, we're going to do an episode in season two which covers the some of the soundtrack songs that were released by the, the various solo members. And Mike did actually release one other song. Okay, that's an interesting um, one. After this album, which is from the Against All Odds soundtrack. Oh, okay. It's called Making a Big Mistake, and he sings it significantly differently. He still strains the same way he does in this album, but he yeah. doesn't try and hit too many higher notes, and he oh. sticks within a very narrow range of delivery. So when we get to that, that's, and to be fair, little spoiler for one of those future episodes, that's not a bad song, and it's better than anything on this album. So something to look forward to for, yeah. Cool. So that was a day to remember. Not a song to remember, though, sadly. No, it was it was okay. But otherwise, yeah. you know, nothing special. Next track is... Maxine! What did you think of this one, Simon? Well, that wants to be a heavier track than it is, doesn't it? That wants to be a heavy track. It does. But I'll tell you one thing interesting about this track. Yes. If you didn't know what it was called, you'd never be able to guess, would you? No, never. Never, ever, ever. I mean, it's almost <laughs> constantly just saying Maxine through this. In fact, this track is about five minutes long in total. Yeah. The last one minute, 50 seconds is just a repeat of Maxine. Is it? The last one minute, 50 seconds, a third of the whole track wow. is just them going, Maxine, until it finally fades out. If that doesn't say padding, I don't know what does. I mean, all the tracks on this are like five minutes-ish long, aren't they, I think? Yeah, but this one's five minutes, 20 seconds. Five minutes, 20 seconds. This was the, the hit single from this album as well. This was the song that got to number 39 in Canada. So anybody who's not a Genesis fan is buying this album for this track. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, people have bought this track and gone, yeah, you know what, I'm going to buy that album. What? Why? I mean, coming back to it as a track, I don't think it works particularly well. It's repetitive. 
it's dull, it doesn't really go anywhere, and it's at the risk of repeating mm. myself, it's repetitive. Mm. Yes, it is. And like I said, this this wants to be heavier than it is, but it uses too much synth and not enough guitar to be a properly heavy heavy track. Yeah, I know it was the eighties, but really, yeah, you know, there were there was a lot of synth bands around in the eighties, and they were using them far more creatively than they were doing on here. And to say that they're they just using them as standard keyboards, basically, it's far too prominent in this track. It should have yeah. been a rockier track, and that was the problem with the eighties. A lot of people were going away from recognisable instruments and going just with synthesised stuff. That was mm. so predominant in the UK charts. It wasn't until, like, 94, when Oasis came out, that we started getting instruments back into tracks that were in the charts. Yeah. Um, so this this was yeah. the start of the, of the slidey slope to synth <laughs> hell that we got in the yeah, 80s. It was. it was. I mean, there's a real lack of emotion in the music. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that is the one thing. This this is basically almost a love song, but you don't get that from any feeling of emotion from this track at all. It's not no. It's not written as a love song. In fact, it's written as just Maxine for one minute, 50 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. I mean, if, and if you remember, this is one of the tracks that Mike and the Mechanics played live on their first tour. So Mike obviously thought this was worth well, On the plus side, it was a great time to go to the bar. Oh, yeah, I suppose. But yeah, awful vocal, really dull mm. song for me. I was just, yep. no, let's move on. Let's move on. Track four, halfway there. Also, halfway through the album. Are we? Because there's only eight tracks. Yay. Oh, man. Another repetitive track. Another one, yeah, it is. This is for me another one that sounds a little bit reminiscent of the police, not the, the organization, the band. It does. It's also, again, very 80s with that almost ubiquitous 1980s sax solo. <laughs> sax. I know. You don't get that much oh, anymore. We got a lot of it in the 80s, and don't this certainly, certainly just yeah. stands out there. Don't get me wrong, it adds a little bit more complexity to this track than would otherwise have been there, perhaps. Again, it's just repetitive, 
and I thought it was. I'm trying. I'm trying to be nice, but it's average at best. For me, I think this is not too bad a song. This is another one that Mike and the Mechanics performed on their first tour, and I think that would probably work quite well as a Mike and Mechanics track. Probably give it a bit more emotion for it to be played with proper instruments with a good. Yeah, thing. I think it need. I think it would need some retooling. Yeah, not too bad, but yeah, it's just a bit. Meh, like a lot of the album. Yeah. So shall we move on to track five? Let's flip to side B. Yeah, all right. (laughs) Side B of the vinyl, you old school you. I was talking about the tape, actually. (laughs) And it's the fifth track, Who is Fooling Who? one Simon well I'll just say in my notes I think I've written who's feeling who have you <laughs> um, but <laughs> but I know it is who's fooling who so um, this is kind of upbeat it's got a nice intro it sounds like the theme tune to a 1986 sitcom it does doesn't it the other thing I noticed about this is it sounds very similar to the last track as well. Yeah, it does a bit. Of, not as bad as that last track, not as dull. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not as bad as that. But I mean, um, musically and rhythmically, it sounds very similar mm. to the last track. I was listening to this and I thought, is this the same track again? But because it, it, it sounds very, very similar. It's almost like continuation, even though it's not. Yeah. I didn't think it was too bad. No, not too bad, this one. I mean, I think when the horns come in, it just adds to the whole it's a sitcom theme feel yeah. to me. Yeah. And, you know, and the outro to the song as well. It's just to, this whole... I can imagine there being a sitcom called Who's Falling Who? And it probably stars a woman as the mayor of a town and her male assistant. Oh, who's that guy who played uh, Chachi in Happy Days? He'd be in it. Yeah, that, that. Yeah. And then he's constantly trying to get one up on her, and but secretly they're in love. It'd be that, wouldn't it? And it'd be called Who's Falling Who? And this would be the theme tune to it. Definitely. So for me, this is probably the best track on the album so far, I think. Well, you can tell we've been in lockdown too long, can't you? But anyway, so the next track, this is one for us, Couldn't Get Arrested. Down to their suburbia that yeah. That is good. No 
Now, this is another one that starts like it's going to be a massive anthem on this album. Mike obviously has an interest in drum machines at this point. Doesn't he, though? That drum machine is probably the best thing about this song. It is, but it, it starts with that, with that couldn't get arrested. It sounds like it's going to be a party track. You know, one of those you put on and everybody, no matter <laughs> how drunk they are, suddenly gets up and starts stomping <laughs> around the room. But then it dies. Yeah. It just fizzles out. Yeah. It's, all, it's almost like just as you're expecting Kiss to kick in with the guitar solo. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It fizzles out into something this, else. This should yeah. have been a classic anthem. It should be couldn't get arrested. Couldn't get arrested. Couldn't exactly. get Come on, woo! Yeah, and we would have all been up going mental when they did this as an encore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sadly. But no. <laughs> so even though this is a track that's under four minutes long, it feels like it's too long and repetitive to me. Yeah, it is the shortest track on the album. Is it? But yeah, as you say, because it's so repetitive, it does seem to go on a lot longer. It feels like it's the longest. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's just the repetitiveness of it. I say it should have been a great anthem. That that couldn't get arrested. Should have really kicked in. And then you had really nice, you know, uh, vocals and, and, you know, great verses. And then this chorus coming back again to kick in the ass. And a great guitar solo, yeah. as you said. It just doesn't yeah. happen. You've got a great chorus yeah. here and then nothing in between it. It's a sad, sad shame. Yeah, exactly. And it, it kind of shows that Mike was right to kick his solo career in the bin Definitely. and collaborate with somebody else. Because as soon as he starts collaborating, I know on, on this podcast in the past, we've made jokes about Mike and the Mechanics being awful. Oh, you've made <laughs> you've made jokes about Mike and the Mechanics being awful. I've been very nice to them, as I recall. But songwriting-wise, they are pretty on the nail, really. They've had some pretty good songs. And uh, like I've said before, the first Mike and the Mechanics album is absolutely brilliant. I really love that. And this song, I think, if Mike had been collaborating with somebody on this song, they would have done exactly what you've said. They yeah. would have gone, well, that's a good chorus. Let's stick it to a decent song. And this is a its a good chorus in search of a decent song. It couldn't get arrested as far as I'm concerned. And for me, possibly the worst, worst song on the album. Yeah, I'm going to go, I, you can write this down if you like, but I'm actually going to agree with you on that. What's that? Yeah, you you can write it down. Write fact, it down. Why are you writing it down? You're recording it. You're literally recording it. You could have it as a ringtone. I'm going to. Don't you worry. I, I bet you are. I'm, I'm I'm waiting for that to come <laughs> on all of the social media that we share now. I'm going. I'm going to add some drum loop to it. I'm going to add some some keyboard. <laughs> And and I'm going to release it as a single. It'll still be better than this track <laughs> we've just listened to. Yeah, it will. Yeah, you're right. Let's move on from it. I don't want to know. No, I don't want to know either, but we have got another track to do. Oh, that's the name of the next track. i 
Okay, back to Rama again. Yeah. Another fact for you. A 55-second intro on this track. 55 seconds. Now, I've said here, the first thing I've written in my notes is, me either, Mike, me either. Which is reference to it being called I Don't Want to Know. But the next thing I've wrote is, the intro's okay, but it goes on far too long before anything happens. 55 seconds. And that I was that bored it? listening to these tracks. I was timing bits. I thought this one was quite good musically i thought it was quite good it's quite nice and atmospheric and reminded me in some ways of prince um mike almost trying to do a prince style track well you i'm gonna disagree with you all over the place on this track i don't think it's a particularly yeah no i don't think it's a particularly interesting musical track i don't think it's it's particularly Mm -hmm. um complicated or interesting or a a really interesting use of music or instruments or vocals or it just goes on not goes on in a dull way no strike that goes on in a dull way um (laughs) but it's just it's just not complicated enough to be musically interesting I don't think this is a particularly yeah. good musical piece. I don't think it's a particularly good piece, period. It's quite dull. And that intro, I was beginning to wonder if there was actually a song attached to that intro. <laughs> yeah, it does go on. It does go on. Far, far too long. And it's not interesting enough. It's not no. It's not a nice musical piece you can listen to. It's just, you no. just sit there going, is there a scratch on this album or, or something? Because this has been going on forever now. <laughs> But it, it just yeah. doesn't yeah. that great waiting at the beginning for this track to kick in doesn't pay off. There's not a great track tied to the end of that really tedious intro. Yeah, absolutely does not. It's it's not a great track. No. I mean we're nearly at the end of the album already. I'll tell, tell you what though, <laughs> listening to this album really wants to make me hide away. was another single released from the album and if you remember before the internet died last week there were four singles released over five months so they didn't have time to actually do anything in the charts before they released another one and this was one of them it's an odd end to an album don't you think yeah i mean this track is so different to everything else on this album it's 
just sticks out like a sore thumb. It's just so odd mm. compared to the rest of this album. It's like, well, I can't think what it's like. It's like, it's like as we were saying earlier, if you were listening to a Motorhead album mm. and it ended with a Yes track, you'd be going, what, what? And this sticks out like yeah. that. It's completely a different kind of track. Yeah. I mean, this sounds to me more like a 1970s power ballad, you know, lighter in the air at the concert being waved around sort of moment. Yeah. It doesn't sound like the rest of the album. No, it did remind me a bit of ELO mm. in certain places. Mm. And again, as we've seen on this album so much, it's way too long. I was listening to this for the numpteenth time, and I had my watch out as I've been doing with this album, not just to say, is this bloody over yet, but just to see where things end. <laughs> and I reckon if you listen to this track and set your watch at the beginning... At about 3 minutes 45 seconds is the ideal place to cut this track off. You've heard everything <laughs> yeah. you need to hear on this track at 3 minutes 45 mm. seconds. And that's being generous. Yeah. But you've still got about another minute mm. and a half. And it's just, again, way too long. There needed to be some editing on this album. This song isn't even saved by that great guitar solo at the end, that kind of Clapton-esque, which I'm assuming is Daryl Sturmer playing. I'm assuming. But even that doesn't save save this song. It's interesting. Maybe it's only interesting because it's so different from the rest of the album. But it is too long. Mm. And if, I don't even think they needed the guitar solo because I'd already finished with this track halfway through it. Yeah. It's just long and dull. <laughs> but the one thing about this track is the standoutishness of it on this album. And that is a real word. I yes. looked it up. It's just the fact that it seems to have so many different influences coming into this track. As we said, there's like almost you can yeah. almost hear ELO at one point. You can hear, you know, there's the great guitar mm. bit which just comes out of nowhere. There's there's it seems to have a lot of influences, yeah. but it doesn't really gel very well, I didn't think. There's, there seems to be a lot of things going on. Yeah. I mean for me, this is just an awful, awful song. It's too long. It's too dull, as your favourite word. I mean, this is normally you know, saying things are dull. It's, it's nice not to hear my, my thoughts being echoed by you for a change. <laughs> I'm normally the positive one, but even I've got nothing positive to say about this particular track. It's just awful. I mean, this, like I said, this sounds like a 1970s song to me. So I could imagine it having been a hit in the 70s with a different singer and a more disco-y maybe backing to it. But it's awful. This is an awful, awful song. Absolutely terrible. One of those where the video was shot with the frosted glass, so everybody looked massively out of focus yeah. and there was a halo around everybody. You know the, the type of video I'm on about from that era. Yeah. So that was the last track on the album. Yes, it was. Thank the maker for that. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not the last track we've reviewed because there was a B-side that was released that wasn't on the album, which is the B-side to Hideaway, and that was called Calypso. Thank you. 
You made me listen to this one as well, didn't you? I did. I did, yes. So I suppose you want to know what I think about it, don't you? I do. Well, I quite liked it. I thought it was better than every other track that was on this album. I've written, this should have been on the album, for a start, yeah. because it's better than anything else on the album. Not even Mike singing can ruin it, because it's a good song. It does a really good job of singing on this. This is probably better than anything on the album. Mm-hmm. I liked it. It was really good. It was upbeat. It was lively. I loved it. Yeah, it was great. It should not have been a beast. Then again, I mean, whether whether I loved it because it was good or whether I loved it because it was significantly <laughs> better than anything else on this dire album, I don't know. I'd have to listen to it separately when I've been listening to something decent, <laughs> see if it still holds up. But no, this should have been on the album. It Was it a good track or was it just the last cigarette before the execution <laughs> exactly. exactly it feels good um, because everything else that came before it was terrible and after yeah this should have been on the album and it should have been the lead track it should it's a good it's a good good track i can't you can't say anything else it's upbeat it's poppy it's there's no way this should have been a b-side not in the slightest not to something as awful as hideaway no no i agree it should have been an a-side i'm agreeing with you and yes you are recording that and i'm still agreeing with you <laughs> We only ever agree about the awful albums. Have you noticed? True, isn't it? We never agree on the good stuff. We always have quite yeah. juxtapositional uh, points of view when it comes to good things. But bad albums, yeah. man, we know a bad album when we hear it. <laughs> After when all we're hearing things. it right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we're hearing. So, No spoilers about what we think, by the way. Well, that sounds like a good place to go into the overview of the album. Yes, so it's time for the overview. So, Simon, if I was to tie you to a chair yes. with lengths of rope and beat you around the head with rubber hoses, what would you tell me about this album? I'd say, if you were going to torture me and tell me, tell me what is what is acting very strange like by Mike Rutherford, I'd say, please don't hurt me anymore. It's a terrible album. Don't listen to it. Please don't make me listen to it. It's awful. Yes, that's what I would. I would, if in the similar circumstances, I would have said, "Oh, now you offer me a suicide pill after I've listened to the album." <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, it's like this just makes no sense on the back of his previous album, which which we both agreed was a great album. Yeah, I mean, he's disowned these two solo albums completely. It was the 40th anniversary of Small Creeps Day last year. Not a dicky bird. But when somebody asked him about the 40th anniversary, he basically said, oh, is it the 40th anniversary? Oh, I'm not sure anybody would be interested in hearing that. Like, what? It's a great album. It's great. Yeah. That's a good album. I mean, I can perfectly well understand him disowning this album. He's disowned these two albums. That's really far too harsh in Small Creeps Day's case. Oh, too yeah. harsh. Yeah. We, we both enjoyed the hell out of that album. But this one, I think we're both unanimous in, in not enjoying this album. I think he's under the impression that if he did a remaster and a reissue of Small Creeps Day, he'd then have to do this as well. And I'm here to tell you, Mike, if 
by chance you're listening to this, you don't have to reissue this album. Please, in fact, please don't reissue this album, but please do do a reissue of Small Creeps Day. You know how um, George Lucas takes great delight in fans handing over copies of the holiday special for him to destroy? Um, (laughs) He should do the same with this album. Because Mike Rutherford is a very talented guy, as as oh. we were shown in Small Creep Day, and we will see in his future albums, and everything he's done with Genesis. The guy's got a lot of talent. None of that seeps through to this album. No. This is mediocre songs with yep. awful vocals. Yeah, even it's... for the eighties where we, we yeah. were we were inundated with mediocre songs with awful music. Um they could have done a lot with this album. As we saw on Small Creeps Day, there's a lot of talent there. Yes. It just feels on this album like they really didn't put a lot of effort into writing the tracks because there's so much repetitiveness going on in this. Musically, nothing yeah. stands out on this album. It's Almost a by-the-numbers album. They've got the drum machine up, whacked up to 11. Sadly, not in volume, just in (laughs) use. And there's just no track on this album that you take away. You know, when you listen to an album, and if you listen to it the first time, you may not get the whole album, but there'll be one track that you take away and go, you know, I'm going to listen to that album again because that track was brilliant. Yes. Nothing on this album. That track does not exist on this album. Yeah. The, the track that you do want to listen to again is Calypso, Calypso. which isn't even on the album. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree entirely. Um, but yeah, every, all the songs on this album are too long. I mean, they're all, almost all of them are five minutes or more long. There's only eight tracks, but in a way, that's a good thing because it means there are only eight tracks. Yeah. You know, if you cut each track by two minutes and then you've got space for another six tracks. I don't want another six tracks. <laughs> no. I mean, for, for me, I'm going to give my verdict on this overall. For me, from the cover down. So that cover, just awful. I yeah. mean, he looks like he's got out of bed, completely forgotten that he's got a photo shoot, just put on the first thing he's picked up off the floor, got to this photo shoot and gone, uh, have you got a hat? Put a hat on and then that's it. It's awful. Yeah. You get the feeling they put the hat on him because he hasn't combed his hair this morning. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He's paid somebody to make that album cover. It's awful. It's also quite vain, isn't it? It is. But we've said before that, you know, Genesis album covers aren't our favourites. They're, they're hit and miss. That is a way of putting Genesis it. Genesis album covers. Sometimes they're good. Yeah. Such as Wind and Wuthering. Duke. And sometimes they're just meh. Like, and then there were three. But they're hit and miss. Yeah. This is a, a big, big swing and a miss. Oh yeah. yeah, you know, acting very strange. He, he somebody's got acting very strange. Oh well, you, you could act very strange on the cover. Yeah, you could put a hat um, on. You don't always wear a hat, do you, Mike? Yeah. Oh, that's that's really strange. Shut up, take the phone. For acting very strange, it it should have been something interesting for a cover, just to try and sell it. Yeah. But that picture doesn't sell it at all. And as you say, from that, it does not. you get that. You look at that. You kind of go, oh, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of dull and uninteresting. And it, to be fair, yeah. it sums up the album pretty well. I mean, I think it's really interesting, actually. Both this album and the next album we're going to review, which is Tony's second solo album. If you look at their first albums, they have typical prog rock covers. You know, they've got a picture. They aren't on the album cover. There's a picture. Soon as Phil does his solo album and sticks a massive close-up of his own face, suddenly Tony and Mike are like, Oh, I'm going to put my face on the cover as well. They've yeah. just suddenly, you know, it's almost like they, they, they've seen something be a success and gone, I want some of that. And I think that's the problem with 
Mike and Tony's solo careers, which we will come into as we go along. But certainly for this album, they're trying to be Phil. Yeah. And that's the problem with this album, I think. Mike's trying to be pop. And let's mm. be honest, Mike writes some great pop songs for Genesis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he needs somebody else to co-write with him, which he will prove he can do with Mike and the Mechanics. So I think this album for me has no merit whatsoever. There's nothing about this album that makes me want to listen to it again or do anything with it other than take it out to the middle of the Atlantic, put it in a bag, put some rocks in the bag and then drop it into the Mariana Trench. That's literally the only thing I would do this album. Man, you are no friend to the environment, are you? I'm no friend to this album. Did you not know the troubles we've got with plastics in the ocean? Yeah, I'm hoping there's a megalodon in the Mariana's Trench like in the film The Meg and that will swim out and eat this album. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, as always, I listen to most of these in the car or when I'm out walking or something, because um, I can mm. I can give them my full concentration because I never concentrate when I'm driving anyway. But, you know, I can, I can really get into them. And on first listening to this album, I did not want to listen to it again. Um, <laughs> there's just nothing catchy on this album. There's no, there's no hook to drag you in. There's not, there's not, it, the vocals aren't particularly interesting, the lyrics aren't interesting, and the music is just so dull and repetitive in some places. Um, yeah. it's, there's just nothing here to grab you. Sorry, Mike, yeah. but it's a, it's a swing and a miss for me. Yes, same. I mean, this, is, this isn't available on streaming platforms, but I would strongly advise anybody listening to this not to seek the album out. Your music taste will not thank you for finding it. Definitely not. And we're not just being overtly cruel to be funny or just to be, you know, to make a point. It, it really is kind of that dull. Yeah, not even being cruel to be kind. It's just being no. realistic. It's a bad album. And yeah. even Mike wrote the album, says it's a bad album. So, hey, there you go. So it's time for time for the leaderboard. Time for the leaderboard. You enjoy this so much. Nobody's paying any attention. Nobody cares about this. Okay, so leaderboard time, leaderboard time. Let me, let me remind you, because it's been since before Christmas for the leaderboards. You can go first, right? So I'm going to remind you what your leaderboard positions are. Okay, thank you very much. Number one, you have Car by Peter Gabriel. In number two, you have Small Creeps Day. Number three, you've got Please Don't Touch by Mr. Hackett. Uh, number four, you've got Voyage of the Acolyte, also by Mr. Hackett. Number five, you've got Curious Feeling. And then, because it's you, at 45, <laughs> you've put Aunt Phillips... The Geese and the Ghost. Only where it deserved to be. At 61, you've put Unorthodox Behaviour by Brand X. I'm spacing this out as I see fit. I think this is where they belong. At 62, you've put Phil Collins' Face Value. And at 78, and there are only 78 albums, so you can't go any lower than 78, <laughs> you've put Peter Gabriel's Scratch, which is his second album. So, bearing in mind we've decided this is an awful album, where on your leaderboard is this going to go? Where was Peter Gabriel's scratch? 78. This is going at 77 then. Oh, actually, I just thought, no. Because Steve Hackett's released a new album, there are actually 79 albums now. So you do have a 79th position you can play with. That is very handy at this point. <laughs> that is exactly where I'm going to put it. So number 79. Yes. Only because you won't let me go any higher. No, you can't go any higher than what's been released. That's impossible. So you're going at number 79, acting very strange, bottom of the pile. No, they say everything is impossible, but there's always a way. So here's my leaderboard. Remind you of my leaderboard. In number one, I agreed with you. We've got Peter Gabriel's first album. In number two, 
in a vast difference. Phil Collins' face value. Number three, Small Creeps Day. Number four, Voyage of the Acolyte. Number five, Please Don't Touch. So minor reversed from yours on that, but similar. Number six is Peter Gabriel's second album, Scratch. Number seven is Brand X on Orthodox Behaviour. Number eight, Geese and the Ghost by Ant Phillips. And number nine, the worst album I think we've reviewed so far, A Curious Feeling by Tony Banks. Mm, where, where, I say, stroking my beard in a thoughtful manner, where am I going to place this on my leaderboard? Hmm. I mean, judging on your how you've placed them in previous times, <laughs> it's almost impossible to guess where you're going to put it. Would it be number 10? I'm going to place it at number 10. This is the worst album we've reviewed so far. <laughs> I, I am a psychic. How did I know that? See, I know as well. I know more of what's coming than you do. And I'm almost tempted to put this at number 79. I don't suppose you know the lottery numbers this week, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. Never know anything useful, do you? No, I don't. So, that's it in agreement. That was it. That's our leaderboards. We both agree that this is the worst album we've reviewed so far. Yep. So far, always time for more bad stuff. So that was Mike Rutherford's solo career. How ironic that we've completely covered the whole of Mike Rutherford's solo career before we've covered anybody else. Not difficult when you only do two solo albums. Not really, no. But I assume we're going to be doing um, The Mechanics at some point? We are. I believe the Mike and the Mechanics first album will be in season three. So you've got that to look forward to. When you say look forward, again, I think you're using that phrase completely wrongly. In this case, I'm using it completely unironically because it's a good album. Okay, I'll look and forward to And I think you'll enjoy it. Great. But look forward to next week's album, though. Oh, yes. Which is Mr. Tony Banks' second album, known as The Fugitive. Based on the film or TV show? No. Oh. Although I believe he took the title from that. But anyway, that's that's next. the next episode. Did he do it all with one arm? Yes. <laughs> That's the next album we'll be covering. Tony Banks' second album. Look forward to that. Okay. Coming soon. Okay, I will do. So that's it for this week. There's just time to say that if you want to support the podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com, search for Revelation Station and donate the price of a coffee to the running of the podcast. And if you do that, I'm going to give you absolutely free, gratis... For every donation of no matter how much, 10 mini episodes that are only available if you donate money to the podcast. And they're really good little mini episodes all about vinyl records. Vinyl records, granddad. 10 of them. 10 of them. That's like nearly three hours worth of exclusive material all for three quid. That's like a pound an hour. That's got to be good value, surely. That's almost what I'm paid at work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, donate to the price to run the podcast. You get those 10 episodes. Well worth listening to. You can't say fairer than that, can we? You can't say fairer than that, alone. Oh, I just did. I just said it then. Ah, there you go. It's the first time There ever. you go. Good deal all round then. Right, so <laughs> is that all for this week, Simon? It is. If you want to contact us and let us know how great we are, you can contact us at <laughs> the Revelation <laughs> Station podcast at gmail.com. Why not find us on Facebook and join our lovely little group? So contact us on Facebook, contact us by email. You can find episodes of the podcast on any streaming service that you care to name. Or you can go to our website, which is revelationstationpodcast.com, and you can find all back episodes right on that website. Please join us. Join us. But that's it. So do your homework. Listen to The Fugitive by Tony Banks. 
and join us in the next episode. It's good night from me. And it's good night from him. Good night. Have you got anything interesting to say? No, ever. But I'll start.